probably did hate Mayo and we thought it was hate at the time because these guys are trying to take away our dreams. The Football Pod live Thursday, June 2nd in Castle Bar. Check out otbsports.com forward slash events and get your tickets now. The News Round on Off The Ball with Gillette for an effortless finish to your day. New Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. This is News Talk. Hello there, you're very welcome along Monday evenings off the ball. So we have a weekend of finals to reflect on, provincial and European. On the Champions League in Paris, we'll talk to Henry Winter and Pat Nevin. Henry Winter in the thick of the shambolic scenes pre-match. He was tear gassed himself when he was trying to figure out what was going on. And then, of course, Real Madrid did their thing. We should have known, really. As for the Champions Cup, Ronan O'Gara is a European champion as a player and now a coach. It is more European disappointment for Leinster. Matt Williams, Jerry Thornley on the way after 8 o'clock. 53106 is the text number. We're at Off The Ball on Twitter. Very happy to say, John Duggan in studio. A rare treat for us here. Joe, this is a real... Uh, rarity of an evening now. Uh-huh. My my sleep patterns are, I don't know where I'm going to be. I probably got combust, spontaneously combust, but my sleep patterns been all over the the shop. Just the adrenaline, the sheer adrenaline of being in here. Yeah, like I'll, I'll probably like I'll probably stay awake now till 4 a.m. in the morning <laughs> when I'm meant to be here and then the probably alarm clock will probably go for 4 o'clock in the morning. I don't know what, where I'm going to be. I'm here again tomorrow now and, and then it's only for two nights only. Well, listen. It's a set out, it's a set out news talk. Big time. <laughs> uh, Dave McIntyre is on the line. Hello, Dave. Even lads, I have to say my pulse quickened when I realised I was going to be sharing the airwaves with the big man himself. Good to well, hear from you, John. Well, well, I'm trying to get smaller and slimmer, but uh, thanks, Dave. <laughs> Good to see you. David, you were in Marseille. I was. It was a great, great couple of days and great final, unbelievable atmosphere. Obviously, the result wasn't what we would have been hoping for going into the game, but it was a really special occasion. Unbelievable noise made by both sets of supporters. I think there was over 60,000 in the stadium, which has a capacity of about 63,500, 64,000. Great weather. Um, went right down to the wire. Last moment, heartache and devastation for Leinster. But um, all in all, it was definitely one of the more memorable days I'll have on the job. It was really good. Mm. What is it, do you feel, because you've been watching Leinster obviously right through the season and covering them. What is it in particular La Rochelle did that nobody else could come close to doing? Well, it sounds simplistic, but they managed to slow the ball down in a way that no other team has managed to do. Um, And it was well flagged during the week that this was probably the only way that they would be able to come up with to win the game. Very interesting to hear how honestly Ronald O'Gara spoke about the Leinster wins over Leinster and Toulouse, talking about the film they had watched over those two games and how much he gleaned from them, that he felt really confident going into the game, that they had a plan in place that if executed properly, would be good enough to help them win the game. That's exactly how it transpired obviously but Leinster's rug speed was something that we'd spoken to about in detail in the build up you know an average of under three seconds per rook and La Rochelle they do source the rooks which is a risk because if you don't manage to slow the ball down the quick ball really kills you but inevitably they did manage to do that Will Skelton his return and his ability to last the 80 given that he's played so little rugby I really thought we they might get 45 minutes to an hour out of him I'd heard a couple of experts discussing the merits of him coming in from the bench given that maybe you'd want to finish the game with him well they started and finished the game with him um their back row was immense. Lievenberg had a couple of absolutely crucial turnovers. And I can't really recall a try scoring opportunity that Leinster left behind them. Really, mm. there were very little. I think La Rochelle purposely infringed close to their own posts so that Sexton would have had a really difficult decision. They kept making Leinster an offer they couldn't refuse. We're going to allow you kick your points from in front of the post. All seven of Johnny's penalties 
were from pretty much central areas. Mm. There's no coincidence in that. No. La Rochelle never infringed out in the in the tram lines where Leinster would have been really tempted to put the ball into the corner and get that line out wall going. They were very disciplined in the wider areas and they were less disciplined in the central areas, particularly when Leinster were putting phases on the ball and putting La Rochelle under the pump for four or five minutes. La Rochelle make the pragmatic decision, we'll get out of here with three, infringe now. Sexton will look at the post, how close he is to them, think that's a handy three points. We'll be back here. Well, they did get back there, but again, the penalty was always given in a central position. They just really cleverly taught their way through the game and executed O'Gara's plan to a tee. Yeah, it's a great point. John, if Alex Ferguson was managing Leinster at this stage, he would just say, we're breaking the bank, bring me Will Skelton. We're buying David May here, we're buying Skelton. Yes, and I also think that whatever needs to change in Leinster for them to peak on a final day has to change quickly because... They're going to hate this, Leinster. They're going to, that, that summer holiday in July or August, this is going to be painful. This is going to be in the thought process. The, 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 this will hurt. This was a bitter defeat. Mm. This was a cruel defeat. The sport is cruel. Obviously, they were trying to hope that La Rochelle's indiscipline would keep them ahead on the scoreboard. But Dave, I'm wondering what they're going to regret because there is obviously an issue now to a degree with two defeats of Saracens, two defeats of La Rochelle, turning up uh, on a big occasion and not producing your best and when we saw the Toulouse game we would have thought there's no way there's no way Leinster can lose this and and then the worries that if you were making a case for La Rochelle you could have said okay slowing the ball down kicking to the corners using the kicking game uh, using the physicality yeah there are things that Leinster are better equipped to doing now but it seems to be that there's still an issue there yeah there is um Obviously, the result dictates the nature of the discussion post-match. If Leinster, they got to the 78th minute with that unbelievable defensive stand. Had they lasted two more minutes, we would be heralding their character and their strength and their courage and their ability to withstand almost limitless amounts of pressure. But because they didn't win the game, we then have to look at why it didn't happen. And I don't know is the answer as to why they weren't able to bring their A game. They will, the, the biggest answer is that they simply weren't allowed to do it. Leinster didn't really make massive mistakes. They didn't lose the ball in contact. They didn't miss many tackles. They didn't seem to make many poor decisions with the ball. Apart from that one at the end, which I thought was crucial, Johnny Sexton's decision to try and keep the ball in hand when really he should have put his boot through it and, and clear his lines. There was that Lievenberg turnover when Leinster were well inside Le- uh, La Rochelle territory. It was another massive moment in the game. But you'd probably have to ask Cullenness for specific moments of regret because it was very difficult to pick out moments that really got away from Leinster. You know, they should have defended the try a bit better. It was they, they broke they, That pillar just next to the rook broke down. I think Keane Healy was closest to it. So that was something they looked back on. But... La Rochelle deserved to win. Yeah. Three tries in the match, they scored them all. They, you go back to Leinster's Heineken Cup wins in the past. They had Elsom, they had Hines, they had Fardy. They don't have someone like those three guys. Goes back to your skeleton point, Joe. They need someone of that standing, physically, mentally, something a bit different, something a bit new that they just don't have at the moment. A real gnarly, grizzled warrior like a Fardy, Elsom, skeleton, or... Um, Nathan Hines, who just brought 
that something bit different to a, what is an excellent Leinster pack. Didn't help Kelleher going off so early. Um, Sheehan would have made a really big impact if he'd been coming in, say, after 55, 60 minutes. And I think they do need a bit more depth, not just Leinster, but Ireland as well in the front row positions. But uh, it's something that, as you say, John, the review is going to be unbelievably painful. And getting this squad of players up for the next two or three weeks is going to be really difficult. But unfortunately, from a Leinster point of view, they've got experience in doing that. They had to do it after the defeat at St. James's Park three years ago. There's a text in from Mike. When the subs came on, Leinster didn't have the same level of intensity. They played a record 60 different players in the URC this season so far. No club can properly train and prepare 60 plus players. Could it be that their squad is too big and outside the first 15 they lack battle hardness, says Mike. Don't know if it's quite that, Mike. I mean, certainly the 23, 24, 25 players get lots of big game experience. I suppose the big difference for those players coming on is they're often coming on after Leinster have really beaten a team like Leicester or like Toulouse you're often coming on in pretty nice circumstances as opposed to into a really tough match so maybe there's something in that but this is the predicament for Leinster they breeze through so many rounds of Europe they breeze through the URC with their eyes closed it doesn't feel like they're road tested and then bang sucker punch and that's happened four years in a row now and that's not a creation of their own doing I'm not sure what they're meant to do with that Well if you look at the bench La Rochelle brought in Roman Sazi, a 35-year-old gnarly warrior who's been at the club for over a decade. Lencer are bringing in Joe McCarthy. You know, he's, got, he's a potential superstar, this guy. He's seemingly come from nowhere. Only made his European debut in January this year. He's only 21. You're asking an awful lot from someone like him in a cauldron that was the velodrome on Saturday evening. La Rochelle, when it came to that final quarter, just seemed to have the depth and the type of character and type of player they needed just for that those circumstances that type of game where Leinster just didn't seem to have that mm. We'll come to the Champions League in just a second it's part of John's news round which we're going to start now it's brought to you with Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day You're starting with boxing John Yeah what a day for Irish boxing again great that we're saying this again 22 year old Gabriel Dawson who boxes at the Olympic Club in Galway has won the European Championship title at middleweight level so he's won the gold medal in Armenia with a unanimous win over England's Lewis Richardson. So this guy, he's a southpaw. He's got a great physique. You can definitely see him turning pro in the future. He missed out on qualification for Tokyo with a knee problem, a European youth a bronze medalist in 2016-2017. And also, we had a silver medal today um, as well. So, yeah, um, Dylan Eagleson. So he lost a unanimous verdict to Bilal Benema of France in that final, but he comes home from Armenia with the silver. He's from Bangor, 19-year-old, uh, mm. uh, boxes out of St. Paul's in Belfast. So Amy brought her Sleaser work, and now Gabriel Dawson, gold medal winners for Ireland in recent weeks in boxing. Like, when is Zorantia going on the Late Late Show? Because he was in the corner there again today, Joe and Dave, and uh, coach of the year, because this is just brilliant stuff. Uh, he's going on when they convince him to. And I'd say they never will. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no interest. Uh, so Owen says, lads, Leinster completely blown up by the media. The hype after Toulouse was crazy and now media will ask, how could this happen? The beauty of sport, always a surprise around the corner. I suppose the only thing to say to that, Owen, is who populates the media? Only former players and seasoned observers and people who really know what they're talking about and even Matt Williams is going to be on later on and he was on the touchline in Marseille and everybody he spoke to and he's, he's talking to former players and people who really know their stuff all felt Leinster were going to win so were they hyped up of course they were and in some respects the nature of the Toulouse semi-final was perhaps the worst thing that could have happened to them but uh, hyped up with good reason 
they averaged 49 points in Europe this season and then don't score a try in the final that's a difficult thing to foresee sport is hard winning is hard and maybe sometimes it can be as simple as that yeah Um, the French government have uh, been telling porkies today Uh, So the Interior Minister, Gerald Darmanin, has claimed there was massive industrial scale ticket fraud at the Champions League final in Paris. And the sports minister, Amélie Oudé-Castré, said there were no problems with Real Madrid fans. Um, So it's pretty clear from the journalist reports, the eyewitness accounts, the social media, this is not the case. This is not true. Uh, The world is not a great place at the moment when truth doesn't matter and when it's bended and skewed. And it's now become a political issue in France with Marine Le Pen, the defeated presidential candidate, calling the issues a humiliation for France. So obviously the UK government have demanded an inquiry um, and it's pretty disgraceful that the fans have been sullied in this way. Uh, One of the few things Marine Le Pen might be right about, humiliation for France is about right. Henry Winter is going to join us later on. So many aspects to this which were shambolic. And thankfully, we're not talking about a more serious situation here. You and I, John, we were on the Sunday show yesterday and I think we were both uh, very, very relieved it wasn't a more serious situation because if calmness hadn't been the predominant air amongst the Liverpool fans, things could have got very panicky and very out of hand very quickly. And we had Conor Moore with us, the impressionist, I'm sure you all know Conor, through various guises. And so he was at the game. It's it's a fantastic piece. It's if, you, if you wanted like a very reliable, even-handed, I thought, account of what it was like to be at the game, then Conor Moore on our social channels is worth a listen to. But for instance, you know, the, the French today are saying, well, 70% of the fans who turned up had fake tickets. And Conor made it, a, like, a, it, was, it was really interesting. He was saying he had a, a batch of six that he bought. So him and his family went over together. And it was either his uh, father or his uncle, but one of the travelling party were told, your ticket's a fake. It's a fake ticket. And they had to like, show them the batch of six and how the other five, which were deemed OK, were exactly the same. And the seat numbers were in sequence and they were bought from the same place at the same time. And but for that, the father or uncle's ticket would have been deemed a fake and he wouldn't have got in. So like there was something going on with the tickets as well they were like paper tickets as opposed to digital the French have said this was a request of Liverpool's which seems odd I don't really know why they would request paper tickets as such but even the inability of the authorities to identify a fake ticket from a real ticket that's a bad starting point it is and the fans have been sullied and the fans are the most important people in any occasion Uh, the supporters of Liverpool and Real Madrid who paid so much money to get to Paris in the first place um and the images, I think, uh, evoke very painful memories for all Liverpoolians, uh, not to mind the people who were there caught up uh, being tear gassed. Um, apparently, there was a rail strike in Paris that day. Uh, so therefore, there was one entrance which th- the fans would normally come out of, which would give them a lot more space. They went out through another entrance that then led to that bottleneck occurring where the police vans were all just parked up and they had to go through that bottleneck. And um, apparently, the police chief who was supposed to be there wasn't there he was in Qatar um, allegedly so it seems to be a complete malfunction in terms of the policing uh, the stewarding the lack of perimeter the lack of ticket checks until very close to the ground and then people trying to jib um, locals trying to jib and which means trying to just jump over the gates and get in and that's when you have the heavy handed response which Liverpool fans then got caught up in so France has got the Olympics it's got the Rugby World Cup next year 
and they've got to get their house in order. But it's just so disappointing to see the French government make a political issue out of this because of whatever tensions they have with Britain and the Liverpool fans' uh, reputation is sullied. Well, there'll be people trying to save their jobs right now. I suppose that's what's going on. A couple of videos jumped to mind. There was one with, um, it was looking down on thousands of red jerseys queuing and then there were just three single file uh, turnstile areas where tickets were being checked and they were being checked very slowly one at a time and just three lanes single file lanes and then it went on for well into the distance certainly a a kilometre anyway in a big underlay and you just thought well there's absolutely no chance of these fans getting into the game on time and they must have realised that and again for Cam to be the predominant emotion um, is is to their credit and the pepper spray as well there's a, I'm sure you've seen the video of like this guy looks like he's early 20s and he's inside at this stage he's at the turnstile he's about to scan his ticket yes. he, he couldn't have been more innocuous and less threatening if he had tried and he just got pepper sprayed out of nowhere like almost casually well, the thing about social, I'm not the biggest fan of social media because there's a mob mentality to it and obviously we see the fake news in the world. But actually, social media did play a positive role on Saturday night because the facts are, you cannot dispute the facts no. of what we saw, the videos and all the, the great work done by the journalists on the ground there, uh, Henry Winter being one of them, got caught up in it. Dave, what did you make of it? The overriding emotion was one of relief because... Judging by what I was reading on <clears throat> Saturday evening and Sunday morning on social media, that there was the potential for the disc to turn tragic very easily. And an awful lot of that is down to luck, and a large degree of it is down to the calmness and the self-policing of the Liverpool supporters, because there could so easily have been an element of them that turned nasty, that things could turn ugly very quickly, that their anger at what was happening to them could easily have been transferred into something a bit more sinister and that just didn't happen and it would have been very easy for many of them to lose their temper when you spend all of that money to get to where you were and then you realise that the game is potentially going to go on ahead without you being there for the entire game and not just maybe missing a few minutes. I know once the news of the delay filtered through that probably helped calm things down a little bit but there's a lot of space saving here. Something has gone really badly wrong and it's not like the French and the Parisian authorities don't have the experience of dealing with big time events like this. They've hosted a World Cup in both rugby and football in the last 20 odd years. They have hosted Champions League finals in the very recent past. They are a police force and a football set of football authorities that have probably had to deal with more issues with crowd trouble this season alone mm. than most other countries in Europe put together. We only had to see what happened in Saint-Étienne over the weekend where the Saint-Étienne players were literally fleeing the field for their lives and being hunted down by their own supporters. So if any set of police should have had the wherewithal and the experience to deal with what they were facing, i.e. Champions League final Saturday night, it should have been them. Someone's dropped the ball massively. And I'd say there was a series of poor decisions have caused the bottleneck that John was referring to there. Yeah. Problem is, as John said, the truth may never come out about this because they're trying to cover themselves. Looked at the liberal use of pepper spray and you wonder if those issues in domestic French football this season have almost imbued the police with a certain disdain for football fans because it was hard to decipher why their attitude was uh, just so poor towards the fans. And Conor Moore was saying as much as well, treated like animals, trying to ask, where do I go? What am I meant to do? And you just get a shrug of the shoulders and no response and no signage. You know, all of these things going on. So as you said, uh, it could have been really, really dreadful and thankfully it wasn't. But that's two now on UEFA's watch, Wembley and now Paris. 
and uh, they need to get to grips with it because otherwise we'll be talking about something very serious one day as for the game Dave I mean <laughs> even with 15-20 like as soon as the goal went in I thought Liverpool aren't going to score here well in hindsight you could you could argue that what happened the result and how they led to this result was entirely predictable because Real Madrid did what they have done in the three previous knockout rounds. Now, the only difference this time, they actually led for a considerable part of this tie, which they didn't against Chelsea, PSG and Manchester City. They left it late in all three of those ties. But they looked down and out against those three teams I've just mentioned multiple times over the two legs. And while they never really looked down and out in this tie because it was either nil-nil or one-nil to them, they shouldn't have won that game for the sheer number of chances that Liverpool created. Now, I was sitting on the floor of a terminal in Marseille Airport watching this game on my phone, and my impression of the second half was that Liverpool had played really poorly and that they had lost all of their zip and they just looked like they were coming to the end of a a long, exacting season and they weren't able to really rouse themselves for what was required. But I sat down and watched lengthy highlights this morning. actually created more chances than I had remembered in that second half as well. There was one save from Courtois in particular. But look, they could have won 6 or 7-1 if there'd been a Loris Carius in goal mm. for Real Madrid. Mm. He made 80% of those saves would be ones that you would expect him to make. But there were three or four truly outstanding Champions League winning world-class saves that on another night would have seen Liverpool coasting to the title. But Real Madrid seemed to be the Champions League cat with nine lives and they've used up every single one of them. They're just a club that has winning in its DNA. All of the players seem to buy into it. We've got these 30-something midfield maestros that are still doing it. Uh, Modric winning his fifth Champions League title. I don't know how they keep managing to do it, but they do. And this is one that is really going to hurt Liverpool. There was a certain irony with how many times various uh, commentators, pundits kept saying, they love this tournament. They did try to blow it up last year, but I do take the point. Take the point. Dave Kay in uh, Sandymount. I was at the Stade de France for France Ireland this year. Arrived two hours early. Barely made the French anthem. Nightmare, says Dave. Okay, it's not an isolated issue. Maybe lads three tries to none. You don't have to be a genius to figure out what to do when you watch Connacht, Leicester, and Toulouse games, says John Limerick. Well, I mean be a bit of a genius I didn't hear many people saying well this is what you have to do to beat them in advance to be honest uh, great result can't wait for the day O'Gar becomes Munster coach O'Connell and Peter O'Mahony with him wow unbeatable uh, the future is bright for Munster says Dave and Claire. well the interesting question is when will Roger get around to coaching Munster because if he stays at La Rochelle and keeps doing what he's doing for another year or two or three then I would think his next jump is going to be to international level and then yeah, he'll want the I, Ireland I, job. Like you could be getting Ogara at fifty when he's almost winding down a touch. Monster, yeah, Monster may have missed the boat. Ogara, yes, Ogara's bigger than Monster now. It's your headline. Clip that. <laughs> <laughs> well, whether it's uh, your Twitter feed, going to be fun. <laughs> any of the four Irish provinces, the, the, the job of the head coach at those provinces now a step down for this guy. What he's achieved at three different clubs in various coaching roles and now as a head coach, it is astoundingly impressive. And his next job will either be a massively lucrative premiership job or another job in the top 14 where some club makes him an offer that he absolutely has to accept because of the the finances involved or he's going to coach a Six Nations team. You would pray that it's Ireland because surely now 
whenever Andy Farrell steps away, whether that's two, four, six years from now, the job is O'Gara's if he wants it. But the, sh- the likes of England and Wales and Scotland will be looking at him as well and thinking, we're so at some stage, someone is going to feel the need to go and get this guy. And I'm, it's 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 a it's a real silver lining if you're a Leinster supporter, knowing that that it's an Irish guy that has that has performed as well as he has, and um, that town of La Rochelle and that support base will just be singing his praises for the next 50 years because what he's done is unprecedented. They've never won a major title in their history, and you saw the scenes in La Rochelle: 35,000 people turning up to welcome the side home and. The pressure's off them now. They have one game left in the top 14 this weekend to ensure they finish top six and they could go into the playoffs now knowing that they have nothing to lose because they have a big title banked away. Because we're 15 months out from the World Cup, which means a new cycle, a lot of turnover in coaching staff. Like, you know, for instance, Eddie Jones is gone from England after the next World Cup. So if you're in the hierarchy of those organisations, you're starting to think, well, who's next man in? And what a timely reminder of how good Ronan O'Gara is. So he's going to be on shortlists. As ever, he's a hard man to get a read on. So who knows what his thinking is? But uh, I just wonder what an international job suit him, Joe. I think he absolutely loves being on that training pitch every day, working with those players 40 weeks of the year. That's why maybe it's a good few. The international type job might be a good few years down the line. Yeah, maybe. maybe. Good point, yeah. Yeah. So we have lots of Ireland games coming up. Four in six weeks, five weeks? Yeah, I think it's um, until, no, two weeks, just over over two weeks. Okay. Uh, So we got Saturday, we got Armenia in Yerevan, then Ukraine next Wednesday, then Scotland on Saturday week. And then Ukraine on Tuesday, June the fourteenth, in Poland. That makes more sense than six weeks. That'd be really dragged out. Okay. Yeah, I mean, like the, that's, that's enough Stephen Kenny debate to last us until for the next ten lifetimes. <laughs> yeah, I, I, we're sort of past the point of the "is he the right man" debate now, aren't we? No, we're, we're into more, results territory. We're, into, we're into results territory. There's yeah. no honeymoon. There's no debate. It's now about results, mm. and it's about how the team performs. I think, like, you had COVID. You had all those complications. I think we were lucky against Slovakia in the very first playoff. And we've had a good run of results. Um, and it's a case now of, you know, let's see how the team plays. Yeah. Um, I think everybody, you know, wishes the team well, but we, we, we need to start winning matches now. What was the uh, press conference today or who was talking? Uh, Callum Robinson. And there's not much in it. Like he was speaking about, um, you know, how was, what was it like at the time when you had the COVID controversy and, and he said, look, the players really rallied around me and they all backed me and he refused to be drawn on whether he's ever been jabbed. But uh, to be honest, that story is, is in the rearview mirror. You know, so the, the fact that that was the, the line means there's nothing really to say. Okay. We, we won't really be talking about this actually until we see the matches, in my view. Um, everybody's there, 27 players. Mm. Um, it's a case of move on, you know, <coughs> yeah. until we see the matches. Uh, the Chelsea uh, takeover has been finally completed. Todd Bailey's consortium for 4.25 billion. Uh, Dan Ashworth, formerly of the English FA in Brighton, has been confirmed as the Newcastle United Sporting Director. He's had a very good reputation in football and obviously they're trying to put all the pieces of the jigsaw together there. Mm. Um, the Charlton Cup, New York, are coming to Offaly on Saturday. Right. Uh, for the quarterfinal, two o'clock start at O'Connor Park. Long overdue, New York, Offaly. You know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, no better man than John Mahon. Great John Mahon to give him a good welcome. Um, the other matches are going to take place on Sunday. Carlo versus Westmeath, two o'clock, Netwatch Cullen Park. Leitrim Sligo will throw in at three o'clock on Sunday in Carrick and Shannon. Four o'clock, the start time in Enniskillen for Fermanagh's match with Cavan. Obviously, the big 
Kahuna's next weekend there will be the Munster hurling final Clare Limerick um, which I'm going to and the Leinster hurling final Galway and Kilkenny on Saturday evening Croker mm. Dave quick word uh, very quick and I'm going to wrap after this the scenes in Clonus uh, saved the provincial final weekend somewhat yeah, as so often does the Ulster Championship save the, the provincial championship part of the season. But it was, you know, it wasn't a classic. Ulster finals rarely are, but it's an unbelievably memorable occasion for everyone associated with Derry. 24 years is an awful long time, going back to the days of Muldoon and Toll for the last time they lifted the Anglo-Cell Cup. And as a, a, you know, a cabin supporter, I can remember how we felt two years ago. It just shows what can be done if you really pull your resources together as best you can, they've come from Division 4 and they have won an Ulster title. And under Rory Gallagher, they seem to have been a, suddenly a united bunch. Um, and I don't think Derry's been that way for a long time. A lot of infighting, a lot of... Uh, the attitude amongst club players to each other and other clubs within the county has never fed into a happy and united inter-county camp so I just wonder how far they can go now once they get this out of their system and they celebrate get the celebrations done they have a couple of weeks to get ready for a, an All-Ireland quarter-final and they will fancy their chances against anybody it will be interesting to see them out of Ulster playing against a team that they haven't really met before and with the with the game plan they have will it stack up in the All-Ireland series and will Rory Gallagher just have to tweak things Okay Dave McIntyre thanks very much thanks guys cheers you, Dave. John Duggan I see the off the ball Twitter page is already throwing you to the wolves there in Ogar. do you want to name other coaches that are too big for Munster it could be like a rolling slot no I, I, it, it was tongue in cheek was the uh, is the way I'll, I'll, I'll finish the finish the news round I know but I, like, I think you're right really at the moment anyway uh, John Duggan thanks very much All right, John. the news yeah. round on off the ball with Gillette for an effortless finish to your day new Gillette Labs razor with exfoliating bar this is News Talk.